I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning again. Thank everybody for being here, everybody that is joining us on the live stream as well. We are grateful for your attendance. The title of this morning's lesson is Every Six Days. Every Six Days. It is in reference to one of the scariest things that you will ever hear when you really understand the full implications of it as we are going to discuss some this morning. The title of this sermon, Every Six Days, is in reference to or comes from some comments made and some statistics that were quoted from a recent panel discussion at the 98th Annual Bible Lectureship at Harding University in September of this year, as reported in the Christian Chronicle. The article began with something that certainly is no surprise. It began with this statement, the statement being, we're living in a post-Christian culture. We're living in a post-Christian Culture. Now, that's not a surprise to any of us. We understand that as we look around. It's not like 30 or 40 years ago where the majority of people professed at least some uh, Christianity. Those numbers have declined drastically. Uh, we're living in an age wherein a lot of people are being raised with no knowledge or thought of God or respect for God, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But we're living in a post-Christian culture. That certainly doesn't surprise anybody. The second quote from that panel that I'd like to just bring out is this. They said, the pandemic has certainly brought new obstacles, but churches were in trouble even before anyone heard of COVID-19, which is true if you look at the overall trends in our country and in, um, think about them. That statement certainly no shock. We're all sadly all too familiar with some of the devastating impact that the pandemic and its related dynamics have already had on the Lord's church. However, as they point out, there were some problems, obstacles, problems in the church before that. They went on to say this to chronicle those. And by the way, before I give you their next quote, I just want to let you know that I've looked at this at length going back even further than they did and it's scary. Their quote, Churches of Christ saw a 10% drop in adherence from 2010 to 2020. The 21st Century Christian Directory listed, listen carefully, 12,300 congregations in its 2015 directory. The latest number given online is 11,905. Do you know what that means? Do you really understand the reality and the implications of that one statement? What that means is one of the scariest things that you as a Christian and a member of the Lord's Church will ever hear in this lifetime what that statement means is what led to this morning's lesson. What that means, that there were 12,300 
in 2015 and that they're 11,905 right now, what that actually means is this. Once every six days, a Church of Christ closes its doors forever. Once every six days, a Church of Christ closes its doors forever. That's what those numbers mean, on average, on average, over the last six years. The panel then went on to discuss some of the reasons they believe that are contributing to this, three of which I would like for us to explore with the remainder of this sermon this morning. The first reason why is they looked at statistics and all of those sorts of things. The first reason that they believe is a huge contributor why once every six days the Church of Christ closes its door forever is, quote, there is a strong growth in the group of nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns, if you will, N-O-N-E-S. There is a strong growth in the group of what they classify as nuns, those who have no specific affiliation or interest in being part of a congregation. They have no interest in being part of a congregation. Now, to understand that, for some of us who grew up years and decades ago, you gotta understand, they're living in a post-Christian culture. They didn't grow up like you grew up. They didn't grow up with so many Americans and family members and people believing in God, believing in the authority of the Bible. They didn't grow up in that culture. That's not, that's not their background, even though it may be yours. This group of nons would include such people as follows those who were never taught about and therefore don't really believe in the existence of God or absolute truth, or at least don't believe that he or absolute truth is knowable. This group of nons would include them. It would also include those who grew up being forced to go to church against their will and no longer want to. They rebelled against that. And I have no problem raising kids in church. I, we raised ours in the church, and 100 times if I could live over, I'd do it 100 times again. Okay? Don't get me wrong. But some kids rebel. I'd still rather give them the Lord and his church so that they at least know. But a third segment of this group of nons could be those very easily Brethren, hear this, hear this. Those who have seen all of the division and fighting and hypocrisy in the religious world, and they see religion, therefore, as just another scam. They see it as another infringement on their freedom to live their life the way they want to, unhindered. This group of nons would include that group as well. This group of nons who have no interest in being in church, no religious affiliation. By the way, they're one of the largest growing groups in this survey. It would be those who view Christianity as nothing more than an emotional crutch for the faint of heart or the weak of mind. 
as well as those who are just simply too busy in today's modern age to care about church. They're pursuing everything else. They're pursuing careers and hobbies and recreation, and, and they got so much more going on that, that they just don't see the need to be bothered with one more time-demanding activity, which is all they see church as. Now, this is why, I didn't understand it in these terms, but this is why I have said and I have preached and I have taught and written for years that we need to stop inviting people to church. Because these nons won't come. They have no desire to be here. They don't want to be here. They don't believe they need to be here. And until somebody gives them a good, solid reason, something they, that, is, that they can experience and see in their own lives as a reason to be here, they're not coming. They don't believe God exists. They don't believe absolute truth exists. They believe that religion is a crutch. It, it includes those, this group of nons is a lot bigger than that and involves a lot more dynamics. But, but those people, they're just not coming. You can invite them to you blue in the face. And they just don't see a reason to be here. Let me ask you a question. Do you see a reason to go to a doctor if you're well? How many of you, when you're feeling perfectly fine, say, I think I'll just go to the doctors because I like paying the bill? Nobody does that. Well, if they don't feel the need to be here, if they don't understand why they need to be here, if they've never been taught about God and why they need to be here, they ain't coming. You can ask until you're blue in the face. Unless they see the practical reality of why it is so beneficial to be here, they're not going to come. And that's where we come in. That, that brings us to the second part of that statement that I have preached and taught and written about for years, and that is this. We must stop inviting people to church and instead start instantly and individually involving them in a Bible study with us personally on the spot. You've heard me say that. You've heard me say that here before I was ever the preacher here. We looked at this in an in-depth lesson back here in February of 2019, about four months after I did become your full-time preacher. And we chronicled in that very sermon how this exactly how they did it in the book of Acts. Peter never said to those that were interested in God, hey, tell you what, why don't you wait till Sunday and come to church and our preacher will explain everything. Peter never said that. Paul never said that. What did he do? He went down to the banks of the river, and if he had to explain it to somebody, if somebody asked a question, what's Paul and Peter doing? On the spot, that minute, no matter what else, they're telling them about Jesus. What about Philip? Chariot, Acts chapter 8. He didn't go up there, and, and, and the guy said, hey, what's the preacher talking about here? Or what's, I'm sorry, what's Isaiah talking about here? Philip didn't say, well, I'll tell you what, you come to church with me on Sunday. That's not what he said. What did he do? And beginning with that very verse of Scripture, Acts 8.35, he taught him about Jesus. That's what we need to do, brethren. This is the same message I had the privilege of preaching here earlier, long before I was your preacher. Gospel meeting, March of 2016, multiplying the master's minions. Same message. And, and here's why. You see, even though these so-called nons, N-O-N-E-S, have no specific affiliation or interest in being part of a congregation and therefore never will set foot inside of a church building, at least at first, many of them are still reachable with the gospel. Think about that. Many of them are still reachable with the gospel. You know why? I'll give you three reasons why many of them are still reachable with the gospel, even though right now they don't understand it. Number one, because God has put the hunger in all men to know eternity. Ecclesiastes 
chapter 3, verse 11. All of us yearn for something more. We yearn to know. We know there's something missing. Number two, because they are missing the one thing in their lives that will truly fill them up. Think about that. They may not know what terms to put it in, but even these nons, they're, they're missing that, that one thing in their life to, to totally fill them and to fulfill them and to keep them filled and fulfilled and content throughout life. They know it. They know it. They just don't know what they're missing. You know, they're looking for something that will satisfy them for all time, no matter what other events or activities or accomplishments or lifestyles that they may be involved in or pursuing. You ever gone to something, you some, maybe some sporting event, some, some wedding, some this, that, something, and you thought, man, this is just going to, and it was great. And, you know, the excitement lasted about until you got home, right? And all of a sudden, right? See, Jesus offers something, and only Jesus, that will last forever. Let me take you to three scriptures about this because even the nons are, are looking for that something to fill their life. And, and I want to show you what Jesus said. He's the answer. John 4, turn with me in your Bibles, please. Very familiar story. Only going to read a couple of verses. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. This woman's been married five times. She's living in adultery with a man now. She's, she's living with a man. Apparently, she's looked for some satisfaction in her life and hadn't found it yet. Same way many people today, out there, nons who see no, no need for God, search for satisfaction in their life and it doesn't last. But look what Jesus told her in John 4 and verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Jesus said, I got something to offer that will keep you full and fulfilled, that will take care of you today, tomorrow, and until the last day of your life. Jesus said, that's what I'm offering you. And this woman was so excited because, because none, of her, none of her searching for happiness before had yielded this kind of result. What did she do? She goes back and tells the whole town, hey, could this be the one? He told me everything I ever did. And what did they do? They came flocking to Jesus because he offered her something that would last. And you see, people that are searching for fulfillment in every worldly thing that's going on can't find it. Only Jesus offers that. We see that again just a couple of pages over, depending on the size of your font, in John chapter 6, in verse 35. John 6 and verse 35. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus said, I've got the long-term answer. We know from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 6, that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. It's not like we go to the table and we get filled on Thanksgiving Day that's coming right up or something else. This is a forever fulfillment. And so the nons, this is why they're still reachable, because we have something to offer them that will give them what they need and are searching for and can't find anywhere else. And, and the third reason that even though they have no intention or desire of ever being here, they're still reachable is because they all hurt. Brethren, do, do, does everybody hurt from sin? Sin affects us all. Sin caused sickness and death in the world. I mean, you start going, sin affects everybody. And these people hurt too. But they don't know what the answer is. And that's where we come in. They don't know that Jesus 
is the solution. Jesus is the great physician. They don't know that, that even in the face of, of sin and sickness and death that Jesus can carry them through that because they don't even think Jesus exists. And, and that is what many of them are going through. They have a sin problem that only Jesus can, can heal. And, and deep down, whether they will admit it or not, they know from experience those things are true. But they still ain't coming to the church building. And that's where we come in. See, we got what they need. And so we need to go to them. This is the gist, as I read it, of what the panel came up with for solution. We. You and me, each and every member of the Lord's church must be completely committed to taking the gospel to and talking to and studying with those folks personally, individually, no matter what any other brother or sister in the church is doing. That's what the panel sort of came up with as, as I read it. You got the cure that they need, whether they know it or not. And so you need to find a way to offer them Jesus, but not in inviting them to church, but in getting into their lives and showing them from the scriptures, taking the time and showing them in a personal Bible study. Study with them first, on the spot. If there's a question asked, answer it. Take them to the book. Get them into the scriptures. As we talked about in those sermons, we've got, to, we've got to do this whether we're in the street, in the market, in prison, in private homes, from house to house, or on the banks of a river. Because as we studied, that's the way they did it in the book of Acts in those places. Every time, they talked to them about Jesus. They talked to them about the church. They talked to them about the plan of salvation. The first century did that continually. It did it consistently. And that's why they grew. I love, I love what Connor said Wednesday night in his devotional. When Connor stood up, he talked about talking with a man on the phone and bringing up God and bringing up God in that conversation and how we need to do that. Amen. Amen. And he said it's so refreshing. And, and I love how Kirk is constantly saying it on the Marco Polos, how, how today, just, just think about somebody in, in a way to bring Jesus into the conversation. And I love the way our men here are praying. So many times in prayers up front, as they're leading us in congregational prayer, you will hear a phrase similar too. And, and Lord, give us the faith and the courage to see the opportunities and to take advantage of those. And that's awesome. That's great. That, that's, that needs to be our focus. All of us. This is sort of the Harding panel discussion's conclusion as well. Let me read you two paragraphs from that article. It said, the church must make known the manifold wisdom of God. That's from Ephesians 3 and verse 10. Christians have to understand that the church is who they are, not something they do. It's not about a building. Finding ways to get together with members and the community outside of the building is important. That's the best way to reach the nons, those who are not likely ever to come to a church service, at least not at first, but Christians can go to them. Second paragraph, Jesus didn't sit in the synagogue and wait for people to come and learn on the Sabbath. Amen. He didn't do that, did he? Jesus went out and about and met people in the street and made himself accessible so that they could also come to him. And that is the mindset difference that we need to have in the church. I don't like the word change in the church. The word change 
in any form in the church or church writings as far as articles scares me. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the church, years ago, um, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, they seemed a little more prominent then than now, but there was this group called Change Agents. And what they were all about is changing the church to be like a denomination. And they said, we gotta change our music, we gotta bring in instruments, we gotta change our leadership, and we gotta bring in female preachers, and we gotta change the name on the church and stop being called Churches of Christ. All three of those are spiritual suicide because they're all disobedience to God. God said sing, we sing, okay? Paul referred to the Lord's Church in the Bible as the Churches of Christ. That's the name. There's salvation in no other name, nor is there any other name given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4 and verse 12, than Jesus Christ. And we are the Church of Christ. Christ bought it. Christ bled for it. Christ died for it. Christ established it. Christ rules it. Christ is everything to the church. And the day he's not and his name comes off the ownership deed, we are all headed for hell. So let me be real clear about the word change. I hate the word change. Bible says in Malachi 3.16, I, the Lord, do not, 3.6, I think it is, 3.6, I do not change. Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13.8. The word of the Lord doesn't change, Psalm 119 and verse 89, it is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. So the church cannot change. The day that we change, we're no longer the church. Okay? However, however, There is a change we do need to make. And here's why. We've got the doctrine right. We're not changing. We're following the Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2 and verse 42. To do any different is to eternally condemn ourselves to hell, Acts 13 and verse 46. So, if we're following the same doctrine as the first century church, how come we're not having the same results as the first century church? That's the question. I'll tell you why. Because we're not following, as a whole, the same method as the first century church. That's why. We're not following the same method when it comes to getting people to know Jesus. The first century church, everywhere they went, every discussion they had, they were always talking to people about Jesus. So often today we just invite them to church and say, no, I got no reason to be there. We don't give them a reason because we don't study the Bible with them. So if we don't give them reason to be here, they ain't gonna be here. That's one of the changes that we do need to make. We, we talk about it last couple of years, come up with a couple of, you may call them corny, but I thought they were okay. <laughs> a couple of slogans, you know, 2020 vision for 2020, and then in 2021, one more than in 2020, and, and, and we talk about those things, we do. We got slogans. And, and, and we pray about it, we do, we do pray about it. And again, I'm so grateful to those men who are, who are making this a, a constant thing. We do pray about it. But the question, the question that each of us has to answer in our own lives, not for somebody else, don't answer for your spouse, your kids, your brother or sister of Christ. The question we each have to answer for ourselves is are we really doing it? We're talking about it, we're praying about it, but are we really doing something about it? Because you see, praying about it and talking about it ain't gonna do anything about it. And it's not that I don't believe in the power of prayer. Prayer works, absolutely. But prayer has to have willing participants in order to work. It's like I told a, a man at the, at the last congregation, a brother in Christ, one of his favorite songs in the whole songbook was God Give Us Christian Homes. Beautiful song, good song, wonderful song. 
It's almost like a prayer. God, give us Christian homes, godly men and women and, and husbands and wives. And, and he'd often get up and pray, God, give us Christian homes. But we had a discussion one day, and he said, you're absolutely right. He said, unless we strive to be those men and women, all the singing we do about it and all the praying we do about it really isn't going to do much good, is it? And I said, no, probably not. It's like people that come forward, okay? Sometimes in the church you'll have folks that will come forward. They come forward asking for prayers. And you don't see them make any effort in their personal life. It's like God's going to zap me and do this. And then other times, and this is so special, and this is the way it's supposed to be, you'll, you'll have brethren, they'll come forward and say, I need the prayers of the church for this or that or one thing or another. And man, you watch that person, and they make changes in their life to help to make it available for God to work in that situation. They, they, they're, they're here more, and they're stronger, and they're, they're more, they, they, they say, please pray that I'll be more committed. And they are more committed, and you can see it. You see, we've got to do more than just talk about it and pray about it. People say, well, I just don't know how to go about it. I don't know how to talk to people. It's not that difficult. Now, I'm not talking about if you're an introvert, because then it is difficult. I'm not talking about if you're a shy person, because then it is difficult. In that way, it's difficult. But what I'm saying is it's not difficult to actually make some connections. The th first thing that we need to understand is that almost every single major topic that people want to talk about or discuss today can be used to connect to scripture. Did you know that? Almost every single thing that people want to talk to you about in today's world, it makes a, you can make a nice segue or bridge right, in, right into scripture so easy, so easy. For example, one of the recent Marco Polos, Kirk, was talking about vacation. Anybody where you work or go to school ever talk about vacation? Man, I'm getting ready for vacation. We're getting packed and we're getting our craft bag. Oh, no, that's only my family. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting packed and, and we've got our reservations and, you know, just can't wait. Boy, Friday, we're out of here. And they're talking about vacation. Okay. What do I say to that person? Yeah, I know what you mean. My brother died and left us an all-expense, my whole family, an all-expense-paid trip. And we can't just, we're preparing every day to go. Where are you going? Heaven. Can we do something like that? Can we do something like that? They talk about vacation. Can we talk about the vacation that we're going to have from all the sins and problems of the world when their life is heavy and dark and how to get? Can we do something like that? What about politics? Everybody wants to talk about politics today. Okay. Let's talk about politics. I'd love to talk with you about politics. You know what we've got to tell you about politics? Here it is. My leader's never been voted out of office. Boy, is that nice. <laughs> Can we talk about politics that way? Psalm 2? My king, my leader, governs all the others, so I don't get too worried about a lot of things. Can we do that? What about when people want to talk about sports? Everybody wants to talk about sports. Okay, let's talk about sports. My team lost. My team this. My team that. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> how awesome it is to know that as long as I practice every day what the captain of my salvation said, I'm guaranteed victory. Is that a true statement? If I practice every day what my captain of my salvation told me, am I guaranteed the victory? Can we say that? Weather. Oh, the weather's awful today. Oh, the weather's awful. How come you're so cheery and bright even on, on rainy days? 
because the sun shines in my life above the clouds. Let me tell you about Jesus. What about this one? Oh, you know, we're going shopping in a couple of weeks. Can't wait for the Thanksgiving holiday to come up. Just can't wait for Thanksgiving. We're going to go see family. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Oh, man, I know what you mean. Did you know we, we're, we're, so, we're such a grateful family that, that uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving once a week at my dad's house. What do you mean you celebrate Thanksgiving once a week at your dad's house? I'm so grateful for Jesus Christ. I get to go and thank him every week at my father's house as we gather about. Can we do that? Can we? Didn't say will we, I said can we? Everything people want to talk about. What about the New Year's? For long we'll have New Year's celebrations and people say, I'm going to New Year's and in the New Year I'm going to do this and I'm going to make a resolution. What about this? I'd be great if it comes, but what if it doesn't? Well, what do you mean? Well, there's a lot of people that have passed away this past year from various causes and their New Year didn't come. What happens if it doesn't? I'm so grateful to know for me at least that if it doesn't come, that I will be experiencing a new day that'll last forever. And, and you may say, Doug, that wouldn't work with my friends. Okay, all right. My friends may be strange. <laughs> That's all right. Then you come up with something along those same lines, but can we do that? Sure we can do that. Everything people want to talk about today can be related to biblical truth. But the first thing that we must do before we ever do that is every morning, morning talk to God in prayer about finding a way or making a way to introduce biblical truth into every conversation we talk to that day. God, give me the strength, not just the opportunity, but give me the strength to create an opportunity. All right. The second reason, and the last two are shorter, the second reason that the Harding panel went on to discuss as to why once every six days the Church of Christ closes its doors forever is because there is also a large number of Duns, D-O-N-E-S, who are leaving the church and Christianity altogether. Now, unfortunately, this has been a problem in the church since the church began. I'm not saying it's justified or anything like that. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying it's always been around, even before the church was established. Jesus, in talking about the kingdom parable, said this is going to happen. There's going to be those who are going to leave the church altogether. In Matthew 13, 20 through 22, Jesus said, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Receives it with joy. It's part of everything. Yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And Jesus goes on from there. He said, this, this, that's going to happen. In Matthew 24 and verse 12, Jesus said, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. He said, it's going to happen. It's not right. We don't want it to ever happen, but he said it's going to happen. And if you read through the book of Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews, and 2 Peter as well, both of those epistles seem to have been written to address this very problem, people getting ready to give up on Christ and his church. If someone's love has grown cold, as Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 12, what that means is sooner or later, whether you give them one or not, they're going to find a way to leave the Lord and his church altogether forever. It's going to happen. It's a negative. Does Matthew 7, 7 say, seek and you will find? Is that, does it, say, it does. You can check it out, but it does. Seek and you will find. That's a great verse, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's a great verse. But there's a flip side to that. Seek and you will find is a positive and a negative. It's like a gun. Is a gun a good thing or a bad thing? A gun is a great thing if it's protecting your home, if the police have it, but a gun is a terrible thing if somebody uses it to shoot you. 
A gun is neutral, depends on how you use it, right? This verse is the same way, Matthew 7, 7, seek and you shall find. It's a wonderful verse if we're seeking the good and godly things, but if somebody is seeking a reason to leave the church forever, they'll find that too, and that's the negative side of that text. So what do we do? Well, even Jesus himself, according to John 6, verses 66 and 7, couldn't prevent everybody from leaving him altogether. And that's what we're talking about, altogether. But there is one thing we as Christians can do, the only thing we can do. Make sure that each one of us individually is not amongst that number of duns. That, that's the big thing. Make sure that we as individuals are not amongst that number. To make sure that no matter what may befall us, what it may cost us, or what others in the church may say or do to us, that we, under no circumstances whatsoever, ever become a part of the duns. Because Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, if that happens, if you've tasted the right way and then gone back into the world, it's going to be worse for you than if you'd never known Jesus to begin with. What happens if you'd never known Jesus to begin with? You're condemned to hell. He said it's going to be worse if you did and then you turn. I don't know what that means, but I know I don't want any part of it. So let's just make sure that we're never part of the duns. That brings us to the third thing they said. A third reason which the Harding panel went on to discuss as to why once, every six days, the Church of Christ closes its doors forever is this. A genuine lack of true love and concern, true love and concern for the lost. The quote reads, until we love the lost, we won't reach the lost. I can give you all kinds of tactics, but if you don't love the lost, none of this is going to matter. And, and you know, I think that's why so many programs in the church fail. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why so many classes and lectureships and evangelistic slogans and programs so often fail. Because sometimes they can be something that we are part of out of duty or responsibility rather than a love for the lost. Is that at least possible? That we do things out of duty and responsibility rather than a true love for the lost? I believe it is. I've often said that if God would just give us one glimpse standing on the edge of eternity into the abyss and into where souls that we love are going to spend eternity if we do not reach them with the gospel, we'd be a lot more evangelistic. Jesus so loved the lost that he was often willing to put his reputation and everything else in his life at risk to reach them. Jesus is on his way to the cross. I'll tell you real quick because you've heard me say it so many times it still impresses me. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Two blind beggars, one of them Bartimaeus. He's got his crowds around, the disciples around. He's going to accomplish the greatest thing in the history of the universe. And for two blind beggars, Jesus stops. That blows my mind. About the woman who came in, Simon the Pharisee's house, washed his feet with her hair. If he knew what kind, if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. Jesus knew exactly what kind of woman she was. She was a lost woman and he loved her. The woman of Samaria, we've talked about, married five times, shacking up now. What about the woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, whose life was nearly taken because of it? Did Jesus really love her? Absolutely. Where are those that condemn you, woman? Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. John 8, 1 through 11. The soldiers who crucified him and Saul of Tarsus who persecuted his faithful. 
Jesus loved all the lost. But you know, you know who it should be most important to you and I that Jesus loved when they were lost? You and I. I love that he stopped for Bartimaeus. I love that he did not condemn that woman caught in adultery. I love that he saved that woman who Simon, uh, who the Pharisees, they, they didn't think was worth it. I love all that, and it's great, and it's awesome, and I love that he, that he loved Peter, and, and he took Peter, even though he knew Peter was going to fail him so many times, and I love all that. But the one that I love the most to know that Jesus Christ was willing to die for, die for when they were lost is me. That's the one that matters most to me. Do we truly love the lost because we were dead in our trespasses and sins when we walked according to the course of this world, conducted ourselves like them, but God came along and saved us because he loved us? Do we love others like that? That's, that's the bottom line. Because God so loved us that while we were still sinners, he gave, gave everything he had to try and save us. Didn't he? Is that what scripture says? Sending his only begotten son. When we were dead in our sins, he did that at all possible cost, only because and out of his great love for us. That is the motive that must serve in every evangelistic thing we do. If we don't love the lost like God loved us, if we're not willing to reach out to them like God was willing to reach out to us, then, 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 then we're not going to talk to people about Jesus except out of a sense of duty or responsibility. And that only goes just so far, and that ain't very far. It's somebody else's job. Somebody else will do it. Well, I'm not going to do it today. Hey, that's my duty, and I know, but maybe tomorrow. And, and if we do it out of a sense of duty, that's why personally, I've always had a problem. Not a problem. Let me rephrase that. I've always struggled. My struggle, I've always struggled. With, you know, sometimes congregations will assign different activities to people, right? They'll just assign them. Not volunteers. They'll assign them. Like greeters. You've got a small congregation. You assign greeters. Okay? If somebody doesn't want to be a greeter, <laughs> but because they're part of a small congregation and everybody's got to do it and their name's on the list, what are they going to do? Well, most of them will go greet. Hi. Welcome to the church. <laughs> if their heart's not in it and they don't love the people coming in, they don't want to see the people coming in, and it's just something they're doing out of duty and responsibility, they're not going to do it that well. But I'll tell you what, somebody that loves people, I'll tell you what, I love standing in that doorway greeting people. And there's a lot of you that greet people and you hug and you talk. You're there because you want to be. You're there because you love your brethren. We need to love the lost enough to do that, not just out of duty and responsibility. It's like an assignment. Before we conclude this morning, I want for us to consider two paragraphs recently written by Brother Rob Whitaker. Now, Brother Whitaker, as many of you know, he's been at PTP. Um, He's connected to the Jacksonville congregation that does house to house. He travels all over the country, all over the country. He's gone many, many, many weeks a year, he and his family, doing an evangelism seminar. Rob Whitaker writes extensively. He's all about evangelism. That's his thing. I want you to listen to two paragraphs or read two paragraphs that he wrote that were rather thought-provoking that go along with this idea of how we all need to be more evangelistic. Number one, he said, this generation has some of the finest foreign mission efforts the kingdom has ever known. 
Elders oversee Bible schools, widows' homes, orphanages, preacher training, printers, building teams, mission trips, campaigns, and much more. It is exciting to see how organized and intentional our efforts are to bring the gospel to India, Jamaica, Tanzania, and many other places around the world. But what are we doing at home? Local evangelism usually consists of the preacher, various ministers, and routine annual congregational events. I love this next line, let it, let it stick. Many of these efforts become centered on keeping the aquarium instead of fishing for men. While foreign missionaries set goals, provide reports, and have accountability standards, local missions lack such metrics. Just maintaining the current numbers is considered success in too many places. And by the way, did you know that it is impossible to maintain the current numbers in any congregation in any time without people reaching out to others with the gospel because people pass away, people are called home. And so I wondered, as I, as I read that, I wondered this. I thought, okay, that, that's a point I really hadn't thought of, the accountability and all that, and the, the missionaries and all that. And, you know, I wondered if every local congregation member, everyone, including myself, from the least to the greatest, from the youngest congregation member, high schooler, to the oldest congregation member, all of them in between, what if each one of them had to give an annual, biannual, quarterly, or even monthly mission report of our evangelistic efforts and endeavors? What if each one of us had to give a missionary report? What would they look like? What would yours look like? What would mine look like? You know how happy we are? We have a foreign missionary come. We have them come and they talk about, yeah, we, we established a church here. And there was, there was 300 members in that church. Don't that make you feel good? They said, we had a gospel meeting. There was, there was six souls added to Christ. Don't that make you feel good? They're doing all these wonderful things. And, and I realize it's a different culture and all that. I understand that. But I'll tell you what, this missionary feels right here in the U.S. You don't think so? You go back to New England, okay? Let me just say. But the bottom line is, what would your missionary report look like if once every six months you had to give... A missionary report, a list of names, people that you talk to about the gospel, to present a report and give examples of the lost folks that you've talked to locally, the studies that you've had with them, and the souls that have been added to Christ during that same time span, partly as a result of your efforts. Let me ask you something. Based on your report, would the church grow? Based on my report, would the church grow? Based on your report, would the church here continue to support you? And you say, wait a minute, Doug, I support the church. Church doesn't support me. And I would just simply say, au contraire. <laughs> Did you know the church supports you just like it does a foreign mission? Think about this. What about all of these tracks out here on the wall? Those cost a lot of money. Well, a lot of them come free with house to house, but if you order extras, they cost money. The church supports you with those. The church supports you with those materials. What about classes, Bible classes? Do you get educated every time you come to Bible class or are you here in a class to be educated, to learn? Does the church 
support you in giving you classes, teaching you how to reach out to people and the importance of it, like this morning's lesson. Yes, of course they do. So you see, the church here supports your missionary efforts. The church even advertises for you. Did you know that? The church advertises for your personal missionary efforts. Did you know that? House to House gets mailed out every two months, reminding people of the church here in Shoto. So you get supported in a lot of ways as a missionary. How would your report look if you had to give one every six months? Yeah, I'm gonna shut my Bible, and this time you can shut yours, Shuano, but I don't wanna lose your attention. I bring you this message today because, quite frankly, a little bit heartbroken when I read that article. I've studied the numbers for a while. I haven't studied them. I've been aware of the numbers for a while, but, but not like they, in, in the phraseology which they used. I am heartbroken because our Lord came and died for the church talk more about that tonight. I hope you're here. But before you and I, look, look around at the church. Don't just look at me. Look around at somebody. Just real quick. Just give them a quick look. Everybody do it. One, two, three. Look. Before we meet again next Sunday to celebrate what Christ has done for us, if history is any indicator, another church of Christ will close its doors forever before we meet again on a Sunday. Then, the week after that, within 12 days, a second Church of Christ will close its doors forever, on average. Before we get to Thanksgiving of this year, we'll lose three to four more congre congregations, not be congregations. And I don't ever want to see that happen to Shoto. I don't want to see it happen to another church as long as I live. I don't want to see us lose one more. But you know, here's the scary thing. I'm sure that a lot of those congregations, the 395 that have been lost in the last six years, I am sure that a lot of them, just like Shoto, probably had good and faithful elders at one point in their history, had good and faithful deacons, had good and faithful preachers, had good and faithful Bible class teachers. I am sure that probably a lot of those congregations, just like Shoto, had many biblical hopes and dreams. They had many goals. They had, they had pursuits. They had programs. They had Bible classes. They had all of these things, just like Shoto. But maybe, just maybe, somewhere along the way, maybe, and, and I hope it, it, it doesn't happen here, I hope that it doesn't ever happen here, but maybe some of their members, though, developed the idea that, hey, we've been here for X amount of years, we'll always be here. Hey, we don't have to go out and talk to people about Jesus, our church is 100 strong, 200 strong, 300 strong, 400 strong, there's nothing gonna happen here. Surely it's not gonna happen here. Maybe some of their members just dismissed the possibilities, did not adapt their priorities, 
and now their congregations are just memories. 395 congregations in six years. 395 congregations in the past 312 weeks or about one every six days on average. Oh, and by the way, not to make you feel even better about this, but uh, one of the addendums to this little article was, uh, the numbers may be lower, but lower, sorry. The numbers may be lower, but with all the pandemic dynamics and complications, it's hard to get good data like we used to, so the number may be even more than that. But it's at least one every six days on average. But you know, here's, here's the good news. Here's the good news, brethren. You know what the difference is between us and those 395 congregations that have had to close their doors? You know what the difference is? We still have another chance to make sure it doesn't happen here. You see, we still have the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus and to lead them to Bible study, which is then, once they realize there is a God, there is a truth, there is a need in their lives for that God and that truth and that Jesus, and they learn about this from the Bible, and they can see it in practical experience in your life, and, and then we get them to the point where they have the opportunity to become Christians, and, and they become Christians, and then guess where those former nons are going to want to be? They're going to want to be here every day because they understand what God has done for them. That's the way it works. And we still have the opportunity to do that. And it's everybody's responsibility. We still have the opportunity, different from six days from now, where we'll lose another congregation on average, we still have the opportunity to make sure this church is here next week and the week after and 20 years from now. The only question is, what are we going to do today with that God-given opportunity for tomorrow. Is each and every one of us going to make it our priority to save the lost, our number one priority no matter our age or our talent? Are we going to do more than just simply each one of us talk and pray about it, involving others in a Bible study? <coughs> Are we as individuals going to put our differences behind us and all pulled together in this one mission that God gave us. This morning, if you would like to become a member of that church, or you'd like to become a harder working member of that church, we offer an invitation. The invitation, if you've never obeyed it, is to become a member of that church, the church which our Lord established and paid for in his blood, the changeless when it comes to doctrine, Church of Christ, the church that goes by the apostles' doctrine no matter what, on everything God has said, black and white. Would you like to become part of that saved group known as the church? We could baptize you into Christ this morning. We'd love to. Right, church? Amen. Be somebody who's been baptized into Christ, but you didn't realize this. And you don't want to see it happen. But you know that you need to talk to more people about Jesus, but you just don't have the strength. You just don't have the courage or the faith or whatever it is, or you just need to be maybe just a little bit stronger. We'd love to pray for you. Obviously, if you have any other needs as well, we would love to pray for you right now as we stand and sing. Make your needs known, please. <laughs>